Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Women Talk Tech. Today, I'm joined by Bryony Cooper, Managing Partner at Arkley Brink VC. Bryony and I discuss why the VC world needs more women, especially at leadership level. She also shares her thoughts on the positive impact this would have on the journey of female founders, given the current gender funding gap. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So, Bryony, tell me a little bit more about yourself. My name's Bryony Cooper. I am, let's say, a serial entrepreneur. I've been working in the tech startup ecosystem for about 15 years now. Um, and for the last five years, I've been managing partner at Arkley Brink VC. And we do early stage tech investments based out of Warsaw in Poland. But I myself am living in Berlin in Germany, where we have a super vibrant startup ecosystem. Oh, I love that. I guess that's uh, the joys of the pandemic, right? You can work from wherever, anywhere you want. You can just get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I've always been pretty international because you can probably hear from my accent. I'm from the UK originally, which is where I started my first company. Um, but I've been living in Berlin on and off for 11 years now and then did a brief stint in Bahrain in the Gulf in the Middle East for a while to run an accelerator program there and wow. then got involved with this Polish team. So, yeah, I've, 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 I get around, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> that saying on like any other time is not the right one to use. But in this example where you're saying it, I get it. <laughs> Exactly. It's all about context. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, of course, I'm, I'm sure we'll dive a lot deeper into the topic in the podcast. But what does CNI mean to you and why is it important? So all of my career, I've worked in very male dominated industries. And being a woman, I've always found myself in the staggering minority in the, the teams I've worked in, the executive boards I've worked in, in the conferences that I've been to and the panels I've spoken on. Um, and, you know, it definitely does have an impact. And I think women um, and, and any other minority groups, I mean, women are not a minority, but, you know, women and minority groups, let's say, face unique challenges. Um, there is, unfortunately, a lot of unconscious bias. So even a lot of the kind of allies and, and best meaning men in the industry do still have this unconscious bias that you can see in the statistics of, you know, how many women are raising investment from venture capital funds. Um, but also just in my day-to-day -day lived experience as a, as a woman working in tech, I think in so many cases, men are just automatically assumed to be competent, whereas women have to go that extra mile to prove themselves competent. And also we have to measure our behaviors of how we come across, you know, to be like, women need to be assertive, but not too assertive, <laughs> otherwise it's threatening. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a whole different ballgame for us. So I think it's so important role models that we can look up to, that we can emulate, that we can feel inspired by so we don't give up hope um, uh, and, yeah, to, to kind of actually draw us into those industries that are still currently very male-dominated to say, hang on a minute, women can do that too. Um, yeah. yeah, women can do it too and, and maybe sometimes can do it better. Um, not just saying it, but I do agree. I think men tend to, we assume men can do it and we like you said women have to prove so much more that they can actually do the job um whether in tech or not but I think definitely in tech for sure yeah and I think it's so important as well when like you look at the global demographic that almost half the world are women and so when people are building products and services it's very likely that around half of their customers are going to be women yeah. um, so it just doesn't make sense to have an all-male team or an all-male board making the decisions about you know what the product's going to become. And especially when you look at technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning, again, it doesn't make sense if you only have one specific demographic of like men from a certain region, from a certain age group that are actually programming the data 
that the AI is going to learn from because it won't be representative. So that's another thing that we have to consider why it's so important to have diversity and inclusion right up to the top levels of who are the decision makers of the technology that we're developing. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, let's be honest, AI is really taken over. And if that data that we are almost now using and relying on and living by is not somewhat balanced, then who knows what the world will look like if we continue going that way. Yeah. I mean, I just saw in the news today, actually, that, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk around open AI with the CEO leaving and then coming back and then he's actually maybe not coming back. Um, but I just read that now the entire board of the company is men. Um, and this is a very important company that's, you know, making headlines all the time, that's developing technologies that will be used by a lot of companies. So the question is, you know, even though maybe that's just one small example, but why? Why are we not having women at decision making level there when their technology is going to impact women as well? It's going to yeah. be used by women as well. Totally, totally. I mean, we'll get into so much more in the podcast. Um, yeah. and, you know, let's, let's dive deeper into your background. You know, how did you break into the VC world? I, uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, really. So <laughs> I, I come from a background that's very different, actually. I studied creative writing at university, and then I was a professional singer for seven years when I was younger. So I had no idea that I was going to, you know, get into the business world or the tech world at all. Um, but when I first kind of started a career outside of singing, I was working with SMEs. So I worked for a company that was doing networking events for small and medium enterprises and freelancers and entrepreneurs. So that was my kind of first little foray into that industry when I was in my early 20s. Um, but I guess I've just always had a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I just said yes to opportunities that came along. And before I knew it, I was running my own company. <laughs> um, and then it just all kind of snowballed very quickly. I, I had a, a co-founder in my first company that was very much the the one coming up with the ideas and the, the driven one. But I was the one that was really good with people and with management because I've got kind of more natural communication and interpersonal skills, yeah. which matched very well with his technology skills, because I think that's a skill set that, you know, the whole EQ is something that often very deep tech people are, are sometimes not so strong in. Yeah. So I found that my personality is a really good fit to work with tech and product people. Yeah. and makes a really round team and so the first tech startup that we did really took off and we ended up raising a couple of million euros because you know the first time I went on a stage to pitch alongside nine very shy computer programmers <laughs> that's so true yeah I was a you know a former professional singer that's just like hi so I was just I think I was I was very good at you know selling the vision and making myself understood and communicating clearly and those are really transferable skills that I found useful throughout my entire career um, so, you know, once I realized the, how exciting the startup ecosystem is and how much of it is about people, about networking, about this whole face to face building relationships and investor relations, it's something that I just took to like a fish in water. Um, yeah, so I, I just sort of switched track completely once I felt like I'd sung enough songs and uh, <laughs> here I am. Oh, I love that. And, you know, it's incredible what you said, because I think you tend to well, I think we tend to dismiss how much being a founder is somewhat sales. It is, you know, you're selling your product, you're selling, not yourself, but you are selling somewhat you as a founder. And I think, you know, when we do look at the typical, um, you know, tech co-founder or, or tech person, they're not, not all of them, right? But they tend just to, they tend to be quite introvert. And I think sometimes, you know, going on stage and having to pitch your company can be quite daunting. I mean, I don't know if I'd be able to do it, right? So having that kind of character where you can do that, like yourself, being a professional singer, it probably really worked out super well. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two things, Charlotte. Like, one of them is I say to people that life's a pitch. Once you work in a startup, it's not only pitching to investors. You are constantly pitching. Oh, pitching your, like, yeah, you're pitching your vision because to your own team members, your own employees, you can't afford to pay them the highest salaries when you're a startup, right? So you need them to buy into your vision and really believe in it so that they, you know, so that they're loyal to your company um, and dedicated. And also, you know, you're constantly trying to sell to potential customers, to clients and like to distributors and partners and media that you want to get PR coverage from. You're constantly trying to convince people to believe in what you're building. So if you don't really believe it, and if you cannot convey that, then it's not going to work. So you need that person in a startup team, preferably the CEO or someone at C-level that isn't only about the technology, but like you said, knows how to sell. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, breaking into the VC world yourself, what experience did you, do you think you need? Um, and yeah, how did you kind of find that transition then from, you know, somewhat being a founder yourself to then, you know, helping other founders uh, gain investment? How did you do that? Yeah. So my, my route is very non-traditional compared to the majority of VCs because, um, you know, I, I dropped out of university after two years to become a serial entrepreneur. So entrepreneurship is one way that you can do it. And my journey... Although it was unconventional, it was quite organic because I ran my first small business and then I ran my first tech startup and then I ran a second tech startup and then I joined a venture builder program as the CEO. Then I ran an accelerator program for a global accelerator and then eventually I moved to venture capital. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I did sort of like climb my way up the ladder of learning the entire 360 uh, like view of, of how to run a startup, how to raise yeah. money for a startup so that I could then take my own experiences and, and use those to support other startups. Um, so that's one way to do it. But of course, the more traditional way is if you've got a degree in either like finance or business administration, and especially if you've done some internship or you've had a, a junior position at one of the top consulting firms like McKinsey or Boston Consulting Group, that yeah. very often then means you can then become an investment analyst and then work your way up the ladder within a venture capital fund. Wow. Wow. Okay, cool. So there's not a typical route. Well, there is a typical route, but again, you know, you can somehow, somehow work your way into it, <laughs> as you said. And I think it's so important to have diversification there as well, because, you know, if, if every investor is a carbon cutout of the same traditional route that when, you know, they have a degree in finance and business administration, and then they were at McKinsey and then, you know, again, it's not going to be representative of all of the founders that you're working with. So to have someone who's actually been in their shoes and has actually built companies from the ground up and has experienced the same struggles, the same challenges, that I think is so valuable to then be able to support your portfolio better. Um, But I think, you know, every VC should have a combination of both. Like, yeah, have the number crunchers, definitely, but also have the people with the lived experience that know what they're talking about. <laughs> no, totally, totally. I mean, I've always been brought, I mean, I was brought up on the assumption that yes, you know, having that educational background is really important, but having the life experiences that can kind of get you through them or the other challenges that many people have gone through is equally as important. So yeah, I definitely, definitely see where you're coming from there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you know, what's your experience been, you know, working in the VC world as a woman, of course, I'm sure, um, like you said, you've, you've kind of got the background as a tech startup founder. So you're already ahead of the game if you think about that. But how have you still found the the kind of diversity within the VC world yourself? Women are definitely underrepresented, especially at partner and managing partner level. Um, yeah. So I am seeing more and more women enter the scene at kind of more junior positions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the number of women at decision making level is still quite small across the globe, I think even more so in Europe than in the US, for example. Um, 
But, yeah, my, my team is 50-50, but we're only four core team members. We're quite small, so it's not, it's not actually that difficult to have two and two. Um, but for me, that's something really important, you know, when I'm looking at companies that I want to work with. Uh, the, the teams that we invest in, it's, it's difficult to, you know, I would love to be able to invest in half women-led teams, but working in, in Poland, the pool is quite small to choose from, right? So, yeah. on the one hand... It can't only be about quotas, right? You also have to fulfill certain KPIs. And when like 90% of the applications are coming from all male teams, it's yeah. really tricky. It's really tricky. So, you know, I've, I've got my values and I, I try to be an advocate for women, um, both in, in startups and in VC. Um, but you can only get so far with the, the current pool of what's out there, which is why we need to start earlier in motivating and incentivizing people who are considering becoming entrepreneurs or who are considering entering the VC market to actually take that leap of faith and like provide them with resources and network contacts. So that's why I try to invest a lot of my energy into, I do pro bono mentoring for women founders and entrepreneurs. I attend a lot of events that are for women in tech where we need men there as the allies as well to spread yeah, the word because yeah, it's yeah. no good if we're just in a bubble, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like, I, yeah, I'm doing podcasts like this and I'm speaking on panels at, at con um, tech conferences for women in tech. Um, so I, I do what I can. Oh, and I did this book called Dear Female Founder, which is a, a series of letters to the next generation of women entrepreneurs. Amazing. Um, yeah. So um, hopefully some, some resources like that can encourage more women to get on board. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting what you said there, because I think you're right, you know, we want to invest more in female led companies, but the pool is so small. Um, and if 90% of them that are applying are men, you know, even the 90% that are still applying, they may not also be relevant to what you want to invest in, right? So then the 10% yeah. of, of, of women led companies that do also apply, again, very, very small pool. What's the biggest challenge in, in, in your role now? And would you say, uh, considering the stats we have, what's the biggest challenge in your role, would you say? Do you mean overall or related to women applying? I mean, overall, just in general. I mean, the, the issue of women applying is not just for you, right? But I think in general, like how, what's the biggest challenge in your role now? I think uh, for us, it's really difficult that uh, a lot of people applying to the fund are not really doing the most basic level of research. And we have only so many hours in the day. So I try to be really clear in the communications online around our fund of what our investment criteria are, because we have we work with public money from the from PFR Ventures behind us, which is an EU fund. So our investment criteria are very specific. Like if we say we can only invest in a Polish entity, that's how it is. If we say we can only invest in a pre-revenue company, that's how it is. Um, you know, so I'd say like probably about 90% of the applications that I receive are not a fit for our fund because they haven't done the most basic level of research. And it yeah. means that a lot of time gets wasted on both sides and people are chasing you up for an answer. And you're like, look, mate, <laughs> if you would read the opening title on my website, you would know that this is not going to go work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess like just from an operational side, that's one of the biggest challenges or frustrations. Um, but of course, on a, on a higher level, venture capital has seen some massive challenges over the last couple of years. First, we had the pandemic, and then there's been the war with Ukraine, and now there's another new war popping up, and it's a, it's uh, affecting the whole global economy and the climate economically, and uh, valuations have taken a massive nosedive, which started off just in later stage companies, but now has filtered all the way down to like pre-seed investments. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of uncertainty and like nervousness from investors about such an unstable climate. 
I think it's going to start recovering now, but it's just like the world has been through so much in the last few years that everyone's like, I'm not sure if like venture capital is what I should be focusing on right now. Um, so like on a higher level, that's that's probably the biggest challenge. And I guess equally right for founders also, um, looking at the VC world, if, if as a founder you some well, you can't bootstrap your business and you do then rely on VC funding, looking at how the VC world is now, it, it, it can be quite challenging for founders as well. Um, like, would would you want to found a company in this, in that time, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it it is really, it's difficult for, for pre-revenue companies that are trying to justify a decent valuation for themselves. It's getting yeah. harder and harder because when you see valuations of other established companies taking a nosedive, you know, and they're there trying to justify a valuation that they think is fair, but they don't have any traction yet to back it up. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, it's really tough for them. So, of course, when we're evaluating a company um, to see, like, how much should we actually pay for shares in that company, we don't only look at traction We look because, you know, it's pre-revenue that we're investing in, but we look at what's the experience of the founders. Do they have any track record, any exits before? Um market opportunity so we do try to kind of look at the future potential of the growth of the market as well so there's a lot of different factors that we're considering we're not only looking at the bottom line in terms of you know potential revenues um but yeah it's tough out there for for specific industries more than others like if you look at industries like ai and cyber security and communications these are actually skyrocketing because um automation has like really accelerated since the pandemic um Whereas if you're doing anything in like kind of fast moving consumer goods or like food and beverage and leisure industry, like these during the pandemic took such a hit that a lot of companies had to go out of business because people were just not in that market anymore. Yeah. And I think you're right. Still, I think those businesses have still not yet recovered. I think the AI space, cybersecurity, I actually went to the IoT Expo yesterday in London and it was incredible to see so many cool startups and and also so many large uh, companies there as well. But yeah, I think certain domains and industries are, are doing well others are not so and I think I would love to, I mean that's really optimistic we would love to see it at a time where everyone's doing well and it is you know quite fairy tale like but I get it it's not it's not real life <laughs> yeah I was at hardware pioneers in London I think it was the year before last and like all the companies were telling me that there's like a shortage of micro trips because so many like China factories have to shut down during the pandemic that they're just like we can't build our electronics because no one's delivering them so it really impacted so many industries <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. And the VC world, of course, I know that like tech is very male, um, very male dominated. Why yeah. do you think, well, what's your opinion on, on having more women in the in the VC world? And why is it important? We shouldn't even have to argue it because you can just look at any report or any statistics and they will show you for any type of business in any industry, the bottom line is better when you have women at decision making level. It's yeah. just like the proofs in the pudding. Um, but like going down to a kind of more granular, granular level, there's just different skills that women can bring to a team. From my personal experience, I've been many times the only woman in a boardroom full of men where tensions have been running very high. There's a lot of testosterone in the room and aggression and tempers are raised. And like, if I hadn't been there to calm things down and like have the diplomatic approach, I don't know if like a punch would have been thrown, to be honest. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like you know just bringing a bit of balance into the team is is the one thing I think um you know of course you can never generalize and everybody's different but quite often 
women do develop a kind of a higher sense of emotional intelligence and like one-to-one communication skills and, you know, the ability to diffuse tense situations. Um, so I think these kind of skills are so important for leadership roles and also to have someone in a leadership role that your team feels like comfortable, that they can come and talk to without feeling too intimidated. Um, you know, I think it is, it's really important to have somebody like that. And especially when you've got male and female employees, or, or non-binary, um, then they need to have someone they feel comfortable coming to talk to that they can relate to as well. So, you know, if you've, if you've only got men at executive level and then you've got, you know, women or non-binary um, employees or transgender employees and they're like, I don't really feel comfortable going to talk to those, like, you know, white dudes that are over the age of 50. <laughs> they're, like, they're not going to get what I'm talking about. So I think you have to have more diverse representation at the level that's going to be leading your company. Yeah, totally. And I think it, it trickles down to like the very minor details of like, you know, you know, you know, women health issues of just like being able to feel comfortable to speak with your manager about things versus wider things like maternity leave. Like it's such a broad spectrum. I think you're right. I think we're missing it at all ends and we're just not doing it right. I think especially in the VC world and in tech. Um, but I think we're, I think there's so many aspects which we're just missing by just not having more women in leadership roles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've had some really personal and interesting discussions over the last couple of years with with team members about like about mental health and about physical health. And I think we could only have these conversations because we felt like it was a safe space. And I've worked in other companies before that definitely did not feel like a space where I would have felt comfortable bringing up any of those issues because I just thought either I'm going to be judged or they're going to think less of me if I, you know, if I disclose that kind of information. And it's just really sad because, yeah, you know, what, what I've experienced today in the company that I've, I've, you know, fostered this environment in has just been complete understanding and acceptance and like stepping in to support each other when we need it. And I know that that's difficult to translate to larger companies. It's much easier when you have a very small yeah. team. Um, but then, you know, establishing a company culture from the beginning is so important. And I think that's what a lot of companies that grow quickly so looking more maybe at startups than VCs now, because they can like grow exponentially and very, very fast from like, you know, three founders to suddenly have 50 people to suddenly have 200 people. Yeah. So if you don't think about the type of company culture and the type of values and the type of working environment that you want to create and foster right from the beginning, it can really like spin out of control and you're going to lose a handle on that. So yeah, yeah it's something that, that founders often don't think about until too late and then they try and implement it later and it's, it's already too far gone. Honestly, I've spoken with so many founders that have just said, yeah, you know, we really want to hire more women now. And I'm like, wait, hold on a sec. That's great. And I'm loving the honesty. But how many, how many, how, how big are you now? Oh, 30 people big. I'm like, oh, wait, hold on a sec. So you're now 30 people big and you're now only thinking about diversity. And it's like the, the, the habits that you've now created will be much harder to now change because you've now got a whole team of, the same person you know absolutely yeah i when i've done one-to-one mentoring with with women founders um, and entrepreneurs i've talked to a couple of them that have been like in a recruitment process with a company where they said okay so there's this tech company that's got three or four like german male co-founders that are all in their 30s that have been friends since university um and you know they're offering me this job but i'm not sure i feel totally comfortable because already existing yeah. and clearly they only want to hire me to fill a quota or for you know public appearances yeah. and do I want to be that quota right do they actually want to hire me based on my merits or do they just realize that it's good for optics 
Yeah. And I think that's a, another really big problem that we're facing. It's the same for tech conferences. You know, I received yeah. so many invitations either to speak at conferences or just to attend um, because they're trying, like, I appreciate on the one hand they're trying, they're trying to make a big push to have more women representation. But at the same time, I'm like, do you really want me there for my expertise, which you should because I have a lot, or do you want me there so your statistics look better? Yeah, no, literally, like, I've been to so many tech conferences whereby there's like, I actually went to a fintech one, which is even more interesting because you then have finance and tech. And there was one woman on the on the panel and it was like, you, I could not help but think. And also she even said like, I'm happy I'm here, but I'm the only woman here. And I would love to be sitting here with much more. And I think it's even so sad that we sit here and think, am I only being invited because I'm a woman and you're trying to fill an optic and, you know, all of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, especially in the tech startup scene, of course, you've got a lot of experience uh, in the space. What do you think would be the biggest impact if we had more women join from early on? I think, first of all, there would be more investments in women-led teams because that unconscious bias that I talked about earlier would be dramatically reduced. So even though we have a lot of well-intentioned uh, men running VCs that are talking the talk, they're not walking the walk. And you can just see that in the investments that they make. So I think that there would be like a more conscious and conscientious drive towards doing a deeper evaluation of women-led teams or mixed teams. Um, yeah. So I think that that would definitely be reflected. Um, but I also think that it would be the catalyst just to generate like and stimulate more, more interest from women in these industries. Because, you know, when we're starting out and thinking, you know, what kind of career do I want to do? When you see more women representing the type of job that you can totally imagine yourself doing and you're like, ah, oh, that's exactly what I want to do when I'm, you know, when I grow up, then, you know, it's going to encourage more women from a younger age to to follow that route. Yeah, I say that all the time, especially in leadership, I think well, I actually had a, a, a female engineer and I hate even saying female engineer. I just want to say an engineer and we just will not even think that it's going to be a man. But I had a female engineer and she got to a final. She was really excited for this for this company. And she said, but can you just help me in or help me find out there's some more women in the team and it was very tricky right because there wasn't that many and even then it's like that there's still that barrier from the very beginning um and if you just had more women in from the very from the from the offset then more women would be entitled or want to join the company you know mm. yeah definitely yeah yeah and I guess you know same for the kind of gender funding gap like you said um I guess how if we had more women in tech more women in the space what would be what what would you think the change would be if we had more women in the you know being tech founders um how do you think this would kind of change the entire industry pretty optimistic question I know I think first of all we would see a big reduction in the prevailing bro culture that kind of came over from the original like San Francisco like ecosystem yeah. that's filtered down into Europe um, because just as if we've seen outside of the tech scene, you know, some years back we had the whole Me Too movement and, you know, in a lot of workplaces, suddenly like men of a certain generation were like, oh, wait, we can't slap the secretary's butt anymore, <laughs> you know, right? It was just like a complete shift in the mentality of how we need to show our respect and treat women in the workplace. And I think we'd see the same thing in the startup world and the VC world. There would just be a difference in mentality that would make it a more welcoming environment yeah. for women to step into i currently know women that actively avoid going to certain events because they know they're going to be one of the only women there and they just cannot be bothered and even like i've experienced plenty of sexism and sexual harassment throughout my career where you know i've had like creepy older guys from my professional industry that have like looked me up on 
a dating app or have tried to message me on LinkedIn to ask me out. And it's just so inappropriate and we shouldn't have to deal with that. So I know women that actively avoid, you know, super male dominated events that could be good for their career, but they just can't yeah. bother to have to feel that sort of attention um, or that sort of like, you know, sexism or the just the assumptions that are made about them. That would change too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think if we just had more women um, in the space in the industries that are very male dominated, like you said, um, hopefully more 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 women would want to get involved, and we'd get rid of the kind of bro culture, which unfortunately is everywhere. Um, and I, like I said, in tech conferences, like you said, in you know the workplace, I think there's so many changes we can make just by having more women led companies, more women founders. Um, so yeah, that that's that would be the aim, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's kind of sad because uh, I, I consider myself a pretty staunch feminist. Um, and, you know, I, I speak about the topic very often and very openly. And I know that certainly there's men I've worked with throughout my career who have felt like they had to walk on eggshells around me. But I'm like, well, if something you're going to say is be offensive, maybe you shouldn't say it in the first place. Um, but even I, to my shame, have found myself, you know, if you're talking to someone who is important enough, as in, for example, could be a massive investor or a huge client opportunity for your business, if they, you know, go for drinks with you to celebrate a deal and get a bit inappropriate, you still find like, well, do I just need to hold my tongue because I don't want to lose this opportunity? And it's yeah. horrible that anyone should ever have to be in that position to actually question their own judgment and their own integrity but that is still the world that we live in, unfortunately. And it's getting better over time. And of course, as I become older and more experienced, like less people are going to even try. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, through, throughout, because I started pretty young, you know, I was a CEO by the time I was in my mid-20s. So, of course, yeah. there was a lot of much older guys that are from a different generation and just, you know, grew up in a different world where different uh, standards were socially accepted yeah um and unfortunately we you know we're still on the tail end of that so yeah I mean that's the one thing I love about I mean side topic that's the one thing I love about the generation we are living in now is it's it's you can speak out out about things and not feel like you're going to be judged completely uh and I think that's the the change I think especially we've seen in the startup world in the I think we're much open to just saying how it is no matter how not unpolitically correct it is but just how bad it may sound we're still happy to kind of say I mean I see so many amazing posts on LinkedIn about the tech startup scene about you know female founders and it's like 20 years ago you may have not wanted to say it let alone post it on LinkedIn and I think now it's become a lot more acceptable to say those things um that may not have been acceptable 20 years ago like you said yeah yeah definitely I I love to see the shift I mean of course it's still too slow and too late but at least it's happening <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and I guess on the resources side I think one thing I found and I think many other women find it in industries that are very male dominated is there's a bit of a lack of resources or they are there but it feels that like we have to do a lot to get them um I guess you have been in the space for a while now you've been in the tech startup scene I'm sure you know a lot of people um what you know, could you maybe share some resources to maybe help more women get connected, access to the tech startup world, anything? What sort of resources would you share? Absolutely. Um, so a lot of my network is, is from Berlin, where I'm based, of course. And um, so here we have Founderland, that's a community and an accelerator for women of color. So any kind of ethnic minority has even harder time raising capital um, because there's just more, again, like unconscious or even conscious bias. Um, so Founderland is great. That's run by Stephanie von Baer. She's awesome. Um, there is Linux Capital, which is run by a young woman called 
Paulina Jensch. Um, I did a joint keynote with her at the Perspective Women in Tech Summit earlier this year, and she invests exclusively in women-led companies or companies that have at least 50% representation at the uh, founder or executive level um, doing impact tech. So if you've got an impact startup, that's your go-to, I would say, for looking for venture capital. Just this week, I've seen two new programs launch. One of them is called Venturing Women Lab. Um, so this will be like um, a paid program where you're matched with mentors and uh, it's like, I think it's also an accelerator. Um, there's also about to launch one called Founder Buddies by Amanda Farrell. And she is doing the first cohort for free and starting in January. And I think the deadline's on the 15th of December. So I don't know if this podcast will be published before or after that yeah. date. <laughs> But um, anyone that can apply before the 15th of December has the chance to have the first um, cohort for free. Um, also, Daria, the woman that runs Venturing Women Lab, offers some free one-to-one -one mentoring sessions um, for women founders. So that's also great. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of others, but there are, there are things out there. Yeah, that's incredible. And, you know, I, I do love when I see just more resources being thrown out there, more help, more mentoring. I think that's the key. I think I think we've lacked that for a long time. And I think it is nice, like you said, to kind of see the shift. We are much more willing to help other women and much more willing to share our challenges, successes, issues. And that's what I think will change the game for sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a really awesome event last week um, from Founderland that was together with Amazon Web Services that were sponsoring it. Um, so there was like four incredible women pitching like a lot about health tech, for example, and like big data companies. Um, and then there was a panel with four established entrepreneurs um, and investors that are all women that are completely kicking ass. So it was really inspirational to see that. But again, th there were some men there. But these are the kind of events where we need men definitely to be in the room to say, like, look at what we can do and not just have other women there to pat you on the back. Because, again, then, where, you know, where's the action and where's the follow up? So something that I've noticed is a big trend is there is quite a lot of kind of community out there to get you started. Yeah. Uh, but then once you actually launch your company and you need capital, that's where we're stalling. So we need, you know, that follow up, actually. Um, there's one other resource I could mention for um, if anyone's running a company or a VC and is wondering what they can do actually to, to get better at diversity and inclusion. Um, there was a book published this year by Susie Levy called Mind the Inclusion Gap. And this is full of stories. She used to run, um, she used to run uh, that department at Accenture. So a huge, huge corporate company. Um, and my sister is actually quoted as one of the stories or like one of the use cases in there. Oh, so, you know, fun. coming from a perspective, you know, if you're a person of color or if you are queer or if you are um, living with a disability, you know, if there's any kind of anything that's impacted um, your diversity and inclusion journey, then this is like not only stories from people that have lived that experience, but like from a manager's perspective, actionable yeah. advice on like, how can I improve that in my company? Um, so I think that's also a, a worthwhile, a worthwhile read. Mm -hmm.